So the ninth commandment reads, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It was just over a year ago now, uh, TV celebrity Ricky Gervais was busy doing the, the rounds on TV to promote the release of his movie called The Inventor of Lies. And it's a film about uh, a world where people cannot do anything but tell the truth. Uh, except for one man, played by Ricky Gervais. He is the only man in the world who can lie. Now, I remember watching one of his interviews on the BBC. Fascinating to hear Susanna Reid on BBC Breakfast ask one or two questions that I had actually been mulling over at the time in relation to what is truth, what's lying, and so on. And, and then she was asking questions like, well, what would our lives look like if it, if it was impossible for us to lie? What would it be like to live in a world where we could only tell the truth? And I offer the same questions. I rebound them to you, really. What would it look like for us? If all we could do was tell the truth, how would we respond when someone asks, did you enjoy your dinner? <laughs> Have you been kicking the ball inside the house? Does my bottom look big <laughs> in this? Here's one thing I noticed from the preview clips that they showed as part of that. I didn't actually go and see the film. It looked rubbish. Uh, but all of this, the thing is, whenever, whenever people were telling truth throughout these clips, even in 30-second little vignettes, it really stood out. You know, that the world is completely different from what was presented in this film. It exposed the fact that we live in a world where, where people lie all the time. It was so at odds with what was in here. And that's why this truth-telling people in a movie looked so different from our world today. It's exactly why God, I believe, has his people at the foot of Mount Sinai, declaring to them the, the way that he wants them to live in a way which reflects his good and glorious character says to them through the ninth commandment, essentially, don't bear false witness against anyone. There's a judicial aspect to that, that commandment, of course. But essentially, boiled down to it, do not lie. Tell the truth, if you want to put it in a positive sense. He wants his people to be committed to telling the truth. Why is this such a, a concern for God? As he is setting up this new people, getting ready to enter a promised land to be a people. Even in a societal sense, as well as uh, in a religious sense, if you like. Well, the reason being, as I've already mentioned, that, it's, that they are to be reflective of who God is. God is a father of truth. We were thinking about that just a few moments ago in our passage from John chapter 8. Truth, truth itself is rooted in God's character. The God who has created us, who has uh, established his covenant back then with Israel, who redeems his people, the church, through the blood of his son. He is the God of all truth. He declares what is right and all that he does, all that he says, all he reveals, all the acts he performs are words and deeds and acts of truth. 
And in the prayer I used just in, uh, before reading from Exodus chapter 20, I mentioned John chapter 17, where Jesus, in prayer, specifically asked the Father, sanctify them, that is, his own people, by the truth. Your word is truth. And what we're called to see, even in this first instance, by the fact that God includes us as number nine in, in a list of just ten simple things that he wants his people to adhere to, the ways in which he wants them to walk, he is helping us to see that everything about himself, primarily, reflects absolute and undiluted truth. In him there is no lie. In him there is no lie. His justice and his righteousness are established really in what we can say, as the Bible says, is absolute veracity. Total truth. He hates lies and he has created us to be, in a sense, morally obligated to be truth tellers. And his followers, his people, his church, above all, must be a people of truth. Now, bring that right down to our level, and we think through, what, what is it about truth in society? You know, it's a, it's a valuable thing for us, surely. Truth-telling is attractive. I'm sure you would agree. Human relationships really depend upon integrity, don't they? In the home, in the boardroom, in the school, in the workplace. It's essential. Lies subvert that fundamental requirement, really, for trust in society. If we don't trust our neighbors to speak truth to us, well, really, who do we trust? Society as a whole is at risk. If we can't trust the courts to, give a true, to get a true witness and to eliminate a false witness, then even courts can become a sham and, and justice can become an illusion. Even in that sense, if we believe that courts can be manipulated, then there's no foundation for trust spreading out through society. Indeed, false witness against neighbor. Even in this instance, uh, this, this edge to this ninth commandment, Indeed, it's, it's as if God is saying this is going to threaten Israel's testimony even as it diminished their own testimony among themselves. It's fundamental. And it begs the question again, what would it look like to live in a truth-telling, truth-loving society? Well, there'd be no more fraudsters. No more slanderous words that fabricate charges and pretend them to be true. No more reputations destroyed by contorted stories and embellished tales devised by gossiping lips. Sounds attractive with all that removed, doesn't it? Truth-telling is attractive. But whilst people tend to agree with these kind of ideals and believe that, that some bedrock of honesty is fundamental to our living together as a, as a people in society, and while most acknowledge that people cannot live together if no one is able to believe what anyone else is saying, there is this kind of unspoken honesty threshold, isn't there? Because here's where we see it's not just truth-telling that's attractive to us, but also lying is actually quite attractive to us. Because here we see we want honesty in society, ah, but not too much. 
Not too much. No, it seems there's a point where this virtue of truth-telling actually goes to the point of being unhelpful. We can understand this to some extent. Constantly hearing, well, I don't know, I might personalize this for myself, constantly hearing the truth from my wife, from my little daughter. Sometimes, yes, she's too, but truth comes out very much from her mouth. From colleagues, friends, you know, absolute truth. Is it, is it necessarily such a pleasant prospect? It was T.S. Eliot that wrote, humankind cannot bear much reality. So we end up believing, if not cognitively, certainly functionally, in our practice, that truth-telling makes it possible for people to coexist, but a little lying makes society a little more tolerable. That's reflective, I think, of our society. We recognize the convenience of the lie. That what often appears to be, uh, and what often appears to be the inconvenience of truth. And for reasons that can quite often seem to us like common sense, a lie can be far more attractive for us than the truth. We learn very early in life to lie, don't we? Did you do this? No. You know, did you draw on the TV cabinet with your pens? No, daddy. You know, we we learn to lie from an early age. That was this morning's example. (laughs) That was better than what I expected because she did technically after that say, I drew on the telly, which uh, she didn't do, thankfully. But we learn early in life to lie. We become accustomed to speaking and hearing lies and we know this kind of threshold. But here's what starts to happen for us we start to qualify our reasons for lying. And we can try and justify it. I mean, when we lie, concerned that telling the truth might actually cause someone anxiety or hurt, we, 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 we avoid the truth and indeed call it politeness. It's wrong, actually, in God's eyes, but we believe it's right. Or we think nothing of making our stories a little more interesting, embellishing real-life truths with add-ons, making the birdie putt that little bit longer, that business deal just a little bit more profitable. Or are you know, even honest in the image that we offer uh, of ourselves, do we suggest to others that we're more intelligent, more pious, more prayerful, more gifted than we really are? There are lots of different ways, even from those few examples where we can see the truth of the matter is that we are self-deceived if we think that we can actually recognize and hold to the attractiveness of deceit and even qualify or seek to self-justify our lying in the presence of a holy God of truth. Because The point is, humanity is saturated with connoisseurs of lies. Yet somehow, bizarrely, and amongst all this, we start to retain that little bit of a moral compass in our own lives. That if we think, that person lied to me, we're, we're absolutely affronted. Yet we do it all the time ourselves. And it's into this kind of society, really, this kind of evidence in humanity. It's into this that God speaks, encouraging us not to bear false witness against neighbor, not to lie, but to be truth tellers. I want to dig a little bit deeper, really, into why it is that we lie. Have you ever paused 
and ask yourself on occasions where even you know that you have lied and not told the whole truth. Have you asked yourself, why is this? I think there are many reasons. We've already covered one or two, but I think it, really the, the top two, if we were to classify them, would come down to pride and fear of man. Let me explain what they are. First of all, pride when we are really just all about seeking to preserve and protect our own reputation. So we lie because we are too proud to allow the truth about our own insecurities, perhaps shortcomings, failures, sin, even just simple weaknesses to show through. We'll do anything to escape the possibility of people seeing us actually for who we really are. And we think it's wrong to show weakness when in fact the Bible tells us that it's wrong to fake strength. What we do is we're like, we're like wild dogs sometimes. Who, wild dogs will chew their own legs off in order to escape from a trap rather than just being honest with others and honest with ourselves. We seek to preserve a reputation that perhaps doesn't really exist. So we lie mainly because of pride, also because of the fear of man. The fear of man is a term that goes by other names, of course. When we're in our teens, we call it peer pressure. When we're older, we can call it people pleasing. And with these labels in mind, I mean, we can spot the fear of man all over the place. We, we, we lie in this kind of situation when we are more concerned about looking stupid in front of someone than we are actually about acting sinfully. So we're more concerned about what another person thinks of us rather than what we think God actually thinks of us. So we fear the shame of exposure, maybe the consequences of being caught by another person more than we fear punishment of God. And it's an interesting thing because even if the gaze of man stimulates some kind of fear in us, how much more so the, the gaze of God who sees more than we actually know of ourselves. But let me ask some questions. Let me give you just a little clip of some kind of scenario as to what this might actually look like for us in our lives, very practically speaking. When asking, this, asking the question, you know, what, what, is this, what kind of situations do we lie in? Well, here's an example. Maybe someone has noticed something sinful about you that you thought you had been hiding well. What's your immediate reaction? Well, your heart starts to increase pretty quick. You start to get a little bit anxious. You, you perhaps stammer a little over your words. You're thinking that you are concerned that this person is going to see some truth about you. And actually, you're quite friendly with this chap. And you think that by revealing what the truth actually is, that, that you're going to go down in that person's estimation. And because you don't want to do that, you, you utter a lie. Or you deny something that they have seen. Or you suggest that they have misread your life or misunderstood something that you were doing. And you maybe fabricate some, something to kind of divert them, if you like. You might even be so bold as to question why they think you might be lying. As if that was impossible. And what are the motives in that kind of scenario? Well, as I've said, you know, it's, a, it's often about protecting reputation. It's fear of getting caught. It's fear of losing friends. It's, it's fear of, 
of, of losing some kind of estimation in another person's sight. But what's the result of all that? Well, ultimately, repetition. You can fall into a simple habit of doing that. You enter into this, this cycle of folly. And you just find yourself sinning, telling lies again and again in all sorts of different situations. You can find yourself pretty quickly fabricating a life really that doesn't exist. Well, the Bible tells that in, in these kind of situations, I hope you can associate with that kind of example. I have to repent of examples just like that. Even in this past week, we all lie. It, it can come out of us far too easily, can't it? Where do we go to for help in this regard? Because according to God, this is sin, and this is sin that separates us from him. And we need to be close to him, reconciled to him, not alienated from him, close to him so that we can know his embrace and know his rescue from sin. We're, what do we do about this? Bible tells us you can turn to God for help. The Bible tells us that the truth itself will set us free from this cycle of folly. The question tonight is, will you come to this knowledge of the truth? Well, what is the truth? Well, the truth that the whole Bible communicates to us is in fact the very opposite of everything that we have in Gervais' film, The Inventor of Lies. It's not the case that the whole world tells the truth and that only one man can lie. The Bible tells us that the truth is the whole world tells lies and there is only one man who has ever told the truth purely and perfectly throughout his entire life. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 tells us of Jesus the Christ, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus is the one who releases us from this cycle of folly. He is the one who came from the Father, as John chapter 1 tells us, full of grace and truth. And the call for us is to hear his words of truth. Listen to it. Listen to the book of Proverbs, which tells us that the Lord despises lying lips. Listen to Revelation, which tells us that unrepentant liars have their place in total separation from God in what they describe as a lake of fire. Now, lakes can sometimes sound pretty nice, but fire is largely unpleasant. Does it sound like a pleasant place that you would like to go to, a lake of fire? No, I'll answer for you. It's certainly not. The Bible tells us, though, unrepentant liars who do not break this cycle of folly and come to God for help are careering towards that lake. But Christ, he tells us that he is full of grace and truth. Come to declare to us, stop following the father of lies, the devil. Stop living in his ways. Turn to me in faith and follow the ways of truth. Well, how do we do that? How do we respond to God? We confess our sin. We trust in the work that Jesus himself set out to do by his sinless life. And by his perfect death on the cross, even being raised from the dead again. Because Christ lived perfectly, 
because Christ died sufficiently, rose victoriously, we can just come out of hiding. We can come out of hiding. We are free to own up to, without any fear, the darkest of our thoughts and motives, the ugliest of our words, the most selfish deception, and our most blatant lies. We can be freed from our bondage to the guilt and shame that we might have in bringing some of these things out, indeed, into the light. We can be freed from hiding behind accusation, blame, or even the the temptation in us to rationalize what we do and qualify it and justify it. Because he's died for all of those sins. And every person sitting here is a sinner and a liar. And we all have nothing to plead but Jesus. No one can plead any righteousness of their own. We are all before the cross on level ground. Confession is powerful and effective, you see. Turning to Jesus Christ is powerful and effective. He, through faith in him, he turns our guilt into joy. He restores to us the joy of salvation. He turns our guilt into forgiveness. He turns regret into hope. He turns slavery to sin into freedom. So we see, even in this world of lies, we're not actually trapped because Jesus offers us hope. The Lord, the great creator and savior, the God of truth who never changes, he is at the same time the God who promises and produces in us deep personal change. And these changes are so foundational that the Bible's best words to describe him are that he makes us new, new creations. He gives us new birth, a new start in life. That's what he's all about. So when we ask, how can we break this cycle? Who do we turn to for help? The answer is through God and we should turn indeed to him. Because he can wash away our sin. He can do that amazing act of changing us dramatically, really, that God can take these mouths of ours used to utter falsehoods and redeem them for use with a proclamation of his truth. That's a great thought. Uh, My mouth is not worthy of that. Neither is yours. But he holds it out to us. And he makes that possible for us. See how free his salvation is. See the way he offers help even in the most simplistic areas of life. In an area of life where we sin so frequently, we barely notice it. And I dare say we barely confess it. Why neglect so great a salvation, friends? Some still think they're innocent. That's what Ricky Gervais did really in his interview. In the making of this film, I realized, he said... That even though I think I'm an honest person, I lie every day. I was practically yelling at the telly. Good. Confess your sin. Go. Onto your knees. Not in front of Susanna Reid. You know, on your knees, confess your... Yes, great. He's recognizing something. But then he went on to say, Oh, but they're just little white lies. To protect people. My ability to lie makes me a nice member of the human race. Well... Not according to the Lord, Ricky. Still counts as sin. 
no matter how little we think it is. No matter what color or shade in between black and white you want to apportion to our light, God considers it essentially black. Many of us suffer the mindset that even many here once suffered that believing that we're too bad to receive grace. We've been talking a lot about grace today. But the point is, grace is for those who don't deserve it. So how can we be too bad to receive really what is for the bad? When we break this cycle of folly by turning to God and receiving his grace, by confessing our sin, trusting in him for all of life, not just for truth-telling, but in all of life, we are brought near to God. Not alienated from him, close to him. Knowing him and knowing his great salvation. And God's goodness is of such an, an all-consuming intensity. It's an incredible thing that he would draw us near, you know. It's almost like the nuclear furnace of the sun. In his presence, we, the dead in sin, should really be incinerated by his sheer goodness. But Christ's incalculable grace carries us right to the very center of the if you like, the fiery son of the living God and makes relationship with him possible through Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to say to anyone who has broken or will break the ninth commandment, the truth is God loves liars. That God sent his son to die for liars. Jesus himself receives liars. So what must liars do this evening? The answer is simple. And the answer is the same day after day after day. Turn away from your sin. And turn to Jesus in faith. It's the wisest thing to do. Let's pray together.